Amen. Well, it is fun to be in worship with you all in a slightly different capacity uh, today. I feel a little bit exposed, I gotta be honest, without an instrument between me and you. Uh, there's a comfort in that. Um, if you don't know, my name is Ryan. I'm the worship pastor here. I normally am uh, leading the music, but I want to say thank you to Julianne uh, and our worship team. Yes. <clears throat> Julianne is the director of Village Hymns, which you'll hear us talk about all the time. And it's just a collective of worship leaders locally. Uh, we come together, we encourage each other, we pray together, we write songs together, we do worship nights like we did this past Friday night um, together. And, uh, and so it's just a wonderful ministry that she directs. Uh, she's also um, a worship leader out at Riverside Church. Um, and here on acoustic today was Caleb. Uh, he is the student pastor at, uh, at Coral Ridge, um, sort of my alma mater if there is such a thing for a church. Uh, it's where I grew up. And, uh, and so it's just an awesome privilege to be able to stand here and just see the team do their thing. And it's just, uh, I just love our worship team. It's just, I'm proud. I'm happy. Um, we're going to continue our study today in the life of Peter. Um, and if you've been tracking with us so far, you know that Peter is one of the most prominent disciples that Jesus uh, tends to um, correct sharply, and yet one that he, uh, he sees just being passionate and in his pursuit of trying to be a disciple of Christ. Um, and today what we're going to look at specifically is the story of the night that Jesus was betrayed and that Peter denied knowing him. Uh, so a couple famous stories. And uh, the Last Supper has just concluded. Remember Maundy Thursday, Maundy being from the Latin man, uh, mandatum, which means mandate. And that refers to the mandate that, God, that Jesus gave his disciples, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And the Passover Supper has just concluded. Jesus has given his mandate. Judas has left the building. Remember, he identifies him as the betrayer. Jesus identifies him as the betrayer. And Judas departs, and it says that he left in darkness. And as we'll see, it's not just a physical darkness. It's a spiritual darkness that's beginning to pervade this land. Um, but we're going to focus specifically on Peter tonight, uh, in this night, Monday, Thursday night. Um, and I, I hope that you'll be able to see uh, what, I, what I'll refer to as three scenes in which Peter fails. Peter falls flat uh, in three separate scenarios, three separate occasions. Um, Peter has a bad fall. Uh, first, he's going to fail to keep watch and pray. And then you'll see he fails to respond well in faith to a, uh, a perceived threat. And then thirdly, you'll see that he fails to acknowledge his identity as a follower of Christ, his infamous denials. Three being the number of completion, three scenes, and three denials at the end. We can say in a way that Peter completely, completely missed it on this one. But I want to, before we get started on it, I, I want to preface all that I'm going to say next with this. Peter is a courageous passionate uh, follower of Jesus and friend of his. Uh, when Jesus walked on water, it was Peter who stepped out of the boat, remember? When Jesus washes his disciples' feet, Peter's the one that says, not just my feet, Lord, but my head and my hands too. When Jesus came to his disciples and, I'm sorry, when, he, when his disciples were around him and he was betrayed by one of his disciples, it was Peter who drew his sword and came to Jesus' defense. Um, we'll talk about that story today. But Peter preached a sermon in Acts 2 that essentially launched the church. 
It started the church with 3,000 people coming to Christ in this one sermon. And so he was a good and faithful man. And we talk a lot about his weaknesses and and failures as we're going to look at today because we just learn so much from them. But what I appreciate is that that's in Scripture because he's the one I relate to most. Uh, he's the one that I think is most relatable for us because he, he reveals to us that it's a very real struggle, isn't it, following Christ in this broken body and broken world. And so as we read, let's sympathize and relate to Peter's situation here. The Last Supper ends like this. It says, as soon as, Jesus, as, soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. And those are ominous words, and that's why I wanted to start there. At the close of the last scene, uh, the Last Supper, Judas went out, and it was night. And when Jesus and the remaining eleven had sung a hymn, which was the custom, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Specifically, it says they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that word Gethsemane literally means oil grove, uh, oil press. And so this garden that they went to was uh, almost certainly a, a privately owned olive grove that contained an oil press, and that during times like the Passover week when the city's population would swell many times over, the owner of this grove would allow Jesus and his disciples to essentially camp out there. And Judas knows that this is the custom. Judas knows where Jesus and his disciples are going to be because he's been one of the 12. He's followed them all these days and and, and years, and, and he knows where he's going to be, and he's been looking for an opportunity, as you know, to betray Jesus. And he says, this is the night. It's going to be late at night. They're going to be alone in this garden. And this will be the time I can seize him. Jesus, of course, was aware that this is Judas's plot, right? He knows it. He, he predicted it at the supper. But Jesus doesn't do what we would naturally do, like redirect. I know if I go to that garden, what a, this arrest and, and torture awaits me, but... Why don't I redirect to a safer place? Or why don't I call down angels from heaven to thwart Judas's plan? Or I can muster up everyone who's ever followed me and put together this militia that takes on the... He doesn't do any of that. Knowing full well what lies ahead of him, he goes to the garden in obedience to his mission. And when they arrived in the garden, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, meaning you will all desert me. For it is written, and now he quotes the prophet Zechariah, I will strike the shepherd, that's Jesus, and the sheep of the flock, that's the disciples, will be scattered. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus responded, using Peter's former name, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. And then listen to this, he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, i.e. when you've repented, strengthen your brothers. Uh, Peter's still not quite getting it. He, he, he's, he's incredulous. He says in his spirited, passionate way, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. So Jesus doubles down and says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied me, until you deny three times that you know me. I love that it says, Jesus, Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Because it's like at the same time Jesus is predicting Peter's failure, he is, he is also affirming the fact that he will be restored, that he will not uh, fall away from the faith. And um, I love that he prayed for Peter. And here's why that's important for us is because Jesus prays for you too. Did you know that? 
Jesus is right now in heaven interceding on your behalf. Uh, We read this in Romans. Uh, Apologize, I lost my place. Is it there? No. I'm sorry. We read this in Romans. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Lord, do we have weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And I just think that's beautiful, that Jesus is interceding on behalf of Peter as he does for us. And here we're invited, uh, in a sense, to compare Judas and Peter in this passage, because Jesus says, Satan demanded to have you to Peter. Well, earlier in the same chapter, it says that Satan entered into Judas, and that's when he began to seek an opportunity to betray Jesus. And so Satan entered into Judas. Satan demanded to have Peter. Judas betrays Jesus. Peter denies him. And in a sense, they both deny their relationship with Jesus and both betray his trust. And yet, in Jesus' statement, we have this seed of hope. He says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And that's how we begin to see that Judas will fall away, but Peter will be restored. And some have inferred various reasons, maybe possible. Uh, reasons why Judas would fall away and not Peter, like one sin was different than the other, like Judas premeditated this betrayal, and whereas Peter more, more or less fell into temptation and, and sinned. Maybe. But ultimately it is the prayer of Jesus, prayed on his behalf, uh, that saves Peter. And here's what I want you to remember, that is, if you're a Christian, Jesus intercedes on your behalf, And though you falter, your salvation is secure. Don't believe the doctrine, the false teachings that if you're not good enough, you lose your salvation. That's just not the case. Jesus continually prays for you that your faith may not fail. Immediately after this, Jesus tells his disciples to keep watch and pray with him. He, goes, he withdraws in the garden. Remember this story well, right? He, he goes and prays. He falls on his face weeping in prayer. He's agonizing to the point where the capillaries in his sweat glands are bursting and he's sweating blood and he's weeping and agonizing in prayer saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will but yours be done. And he returns to find his loyal unto death disciples fast asleep. And he said to Peter, not to all the disciples that fell asleep, but to Peter specifically, so could you not watch with me one hour? He says, watch and pray so that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, Peter's heart is in the right place, sort of. Jesus, I'm I'm here for you. I'm all in. I'm 110% here to defend you, here to carry out your mission. But it's also a misplaced passion. And that's where Jesus says it would have been better suited, that passion would have been better suited put into prayer because that is the more fundamental, more essential thing so that you will not fall into temptation because the flesh is weak. And I I sympathize with Peter here. You know, he's 110% all in. He's ready to be a hero for the faith. Uh, But when it comes to the more perhaps mundane day-to-day disciplines of prayer and following Jesus, it becomes, you become weary. And you begin to falter and fall asleep. You know, I'll defend my family to my dying breath, but will I sit with my kids and read the Bible and pray with them at night? It's, it's one of those, you know, I'm, I'm ready to do big things, Peter says, but he kind of falls short in those more essential, simple things. Uh, I found this quote. It says, 
it's sometimes easier to bear a great load for Christ than a small one. Some of us could be martyrs at the stake more easily than confessors, confessors among sneering neighbors. Isn't that true? I'll cower in the presence of neighbors who, I don't know, I don't want to offend them uh, before I cower at, as he says, the martyr's stake. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, and we're vulnerable to temptation, and the solution, the way we resist that temptation is to watch and pray, and that's the lesson from the first scene with Peter, is to watch and pray, and so we go immediately on the heels of that into this new scene. Uh, The scene is Judas betraying Jesus. Uh, This is a, to me, a little bit of an uncomfortable painting, uh, but it's one that survived uh, from the medieval times picturing Judas kissing Jesus. There's Peter on the side with his sword uh, and the mob that's going to carry Jesus away. Um, and it's, a, it's depicting uh, this, this next piece of the, of the story where he says that while he was still speaking, that is Jesus, while he was still speaking to Peter, Judas came, one of the 12. And I love that that detail is added just to drive that a little deeper. He was one of them. He was one of the 12. And with him, a great crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss, which was a common greeting, is the man. Seize him. And he came to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi, and he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, come do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. A Jewish scholar named Moses Aberbach commented on this incident, saying, in any group of teacher, disciple, Fellowship, there was never, it was never permitted to greet his teacher first, since this implied equality. And he says, so then Judas' sign was not just a signal to the mob, but it was also a deliberate insult. And isn't it far more crushing to be insulted and wounded by a close loved one than it is a perfect stranger? You know, if one of you I don't know comes up and tells me my sermon stunk, it might sting for a second, but I'm not going to carry that with me as deeply as I will if my, if my mother and my wife come up and say, Ryan, that was just horrible. Could you never do that again? Um, that, that wounds you deeply. And Jesus is now being wounded deeply by this insult from Judas saying, I'm equal to you and betraying his trust. And so it is that sin is not just breaking the rules of God. It's breaking the heart of God. Sin breaks the heart of God. It's a betrayal of our, of our intimacy with Christ. We continue reading, And when those who were around him, that is the disciples, saw what would follow to Jesus, they see that he's about to be carried away. He's going to stand trial and persecution. They see what's coming, but they miss the entire purpose of it. They miss the meaning of it because of their first failure. Remember what it was? Their failure to watch and pray. They said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them who had been sleeping instead of praying, John actually identifies him as Peter, struck the servant of the high priest, John also names him Malchus, and cut off his right ear. And the only way I can make sense of that is Jesus, I mean, Paul, Peter was going for broke, trying to take this guy's head off. There's no other explanation. I mean, it wasn't a surgical precision like, I'm going to cut your ear off to show you. that this Peter meant business, and he was trying to come to Jesus' defense in a life and death kind of way. But Jesus, 
whose prayers had prepared him for this moment, said, no more of this, and he touched his ear and healed him. See, the disciples were able to see naturally with their own eyes what was coming, what was happening to Jesus, but they didn't have the eyes of faith. They were blind to see God's purposes in it. Peter's misinterpretation of God's purposes is a direct consequence of his failure to first watch and pray. And so it is that his second failure is a consequence of the first. And so it is with us. When we fail to watch and pray, we misinterpret things. We misread things. We, we use our natural eyes to see what's happening, and we don't use our eyes of faith and believe that God can do things that we've never thought possible. Even through death, even through this persecution, God's mission is going forward, and, <clears throat> and prayer gives us those eyes of faith. <clears throat> and then they, that is Judas's horde of officials, seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And why does it say at a distance? I, I read some commentaries speculating maybe he's kind of getting afraid now. He's courageous. Peter's now starting to kind of wimp out. Uh, or, or maybe it's just that, uh, I don't know, he, he wants to kind of stand by but not to be seen so he can intervene perhaps in case something goes wrong. I, I don't know. But, but let's remember this guy just cut off a dude's ear who's a horde of people leading the most influential and possibly the most controversial figure in history to arrest at the high priest's house with a horde, possibly up to 600 people coming around Jesus and leading him off. And Peter tried to strike one of them dead. And so you can imagine Peter might be wise to be a little cautious here. And so he follows at a distance that he followed at all, frankly, is more than a little gutsy. But he's in over his head because his spirit is willing, but his flesh is weak. And so that's how we get into this third scene in the courtyard of the high priest's house. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And that sentence should just throw up red flags and flares. He, he lit a fire and began warming himself with his enemy. He sat down among them. And, you know, from Psalm 1-1, from Proverbs 13-20, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. Proverbs, the companion of fools, suffers harm. Uh, all of these things should be saying, this is, this is about to be real bad. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, which you would think is plenty of time to correct your course, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. And they would know that because of his accent. Galileans had a, a particular accent that was easily identifiable. And so now they've seen him, they've recognized him by sight, they've recognized him now by hearing him speak. But Peter said, and the book of Matthew adds, in fact, he calls curses down from heaven. He starts swearing, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter and remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. 
in sorrowful repentance is the idea. This is a painting that you can study for a little while here, but there's Jesus looking at Peter. I, I just, I think this is a, a beautiful, feels like tragedy, but it's actually not. It feels like a tragedy, but in fact, it's a classic comedy. And by that, I don't mean ha-ha, funny comedy. I mean comedy in that all the things that went wrong, all the darkness that we've descended into, even the weakest thing has been made, uh, has been appointed king, has been put on top, has been redeemed in a way that's um, reversal, a total reversal of what we expect. Because now Peter is going to become the pillar on whom Jesus builds the church. But we began the, our story today with Judas it said he went out and it was night. Now we end the story with Peter wept. He went out and he wept bitterly. And so we get to see Peter restored here in a couple weeks. You'll, you'll see that Peter will be, in fact, restored to Christ and go on to do great things for the kingdom. But I want to close with this. There's a, there's a lot of things, a lot left to our imaginations about this look that Jesus gives Peter. And, you know, it's impossible for any uh, one of us to know exactly what that looked like. Um, But here's a little diagnostic test for you. Let's just take a second. Imagine that you're in the midst of committing some crime or sin, okay? And Jesus looks at you. Your eyes lock in the middle of your sin. You're caught. What does his face toward you look like? What is his countenance toward you? Because I think however you pictured his face just now, if you did that exercise, is telling you something about your relationship with God, or at least how you think about your relationship with God. When he looked at you, was he disgusted? Was he furious? Was he just, that was the last straw. You know what, I'm done with this guy. I'm done with you. Was he disappointed, ashamed? I think so many of us Christians who who really want to be devoted to Christ and follow him walk around with a guilty conscience, feeling all the time like God is angry and disappointed with us. And if you can relate to that feeling, let me just ask you this. Would an angry God even bother to look in your direction at all? Would he allow you to live a moment longer? Would a fed-up God plead with the Father on your behalf that your faith would not fail? If he had given up on you, would he stand between you and the accuser, taking your punishment upon himself so that you could live with him in, in perfect fellowship? Would he call you his most wonderful creation, his inheritance, his son, his daughter? Now, see, there's no circumstance, no sin offensive enough in which I see anything other than a look of deep, deep compassion and love in Jesus' eyes. He delights in you. You are his most prized creation, and inasmuch as you follow him and you you place your trust in him alone for salvation, when he looks on you, he sees Christ. Think of that. He sees Jesus all over you when you're covered in Christ, and he is delighted in you. So be at peace. Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. So just to wrap it up, I want to ask a couple questions, as has been Tom's custom as of late, finish with a few things for you to chew on as you go. The first has to do with watching and praying. Have you fallen asleep 
Have you fallen asleep in your duty as a Christian to, to go continually before the throne of God and intercede on behalf of, well, yourself, your family, your city, the people in your world? We have, as Drew mentioned, multiple different opportunities for prayer here if you need a kickstart or something to help motivate you and get you going. The 60 MP, uh, as she said, meets on Wednesdays at noon. There's also Friday morning prayer on Zoom. You can join us for that. Uh, There's always a way on our app and website to submit a prayer request. It's very easy to do. You can do that by name or anonymously, and we would be honored to pray with you. But have you fallen asleep in watching and praying? Because the next question has to do with that, and it's have you, as a result perhaps of that failure, have you had a relationship or an encounter or some kind of perceived threat come along to which you responded in the flesh? You responded in an ungodly way. You were aggressive or in distress. Uh, is there a way that we can sort of repicture and reimagine that scenario that receives it as from the hand of the Lord? And lastly, do you know the grace of Jesus? Do you know that look that Jesus gave Peter? Do you understand that his heart toward you is one of grace and mercy and love? That's why he did all of it. That's why he came. It's why he lived the perfect life we couldn't live. It's why he suffered and died. All of that because of his love toward you and his grace. His desire is to be with you. And so if you don't know him, I want to encourage you to come talk to me or to any number of people that um, stand down front in front of the stage after the service. Uh, We'd love to share more about that with you or find out how we can pray for you. Um, But I'd encourage you, know this Jesus, because the the angry God isn't a fun one to serve, nor is it true. And so uh, let's receive Jesus' grace together and let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks. Lord, that your countenance toward us is one of joy, one of pleasure, delight as as a father in a son or daughter. Lord, we we have no analogy in our world. Uh, Son and daughter, father, mother, it doesn't seem to even come close, Lord, to the love that you have shown us. The eternal depths of your soul, Lord, cry out on our behalf with wordless groans, Romans says. You're interceding fervently for us that our faith may not fail. God, we just praise you that that's your heart toward us. We ask, Lord, that you'd help us to walk with you, not just in the big ways, not just in the heroic ways, but, Lord, even in the small things, will we be faithful? Give us your spirit and your grace to do this, we pray in Jesus' name.